Howdy, welcome back to another episode of our weekly podcast. We know you've got a buffet of media to choose from each week. That's why we put a lot of effort into finding stories from the Bible that have relevant lessons for us today. I hope you enjoy. Okay, so I think the first question is, it's always good to know people's stories. Did you grow up in in a church or the Adventist church? Or tell us a little bit about yourselves. Sure, so um, I grew up... um, in an Adventist ghetto um, in uh, Stoneham, Massachusetts. Um, and I was born on a, a, at, at the hospital. I lived on the hospital grounds. We had our own post office. We had our own grocery store. We had our own church. We had our own school, <laughs> all on the same grounds. And, um, and so I learned, grew up uh, knowing, knowing the message and uh, knowing about knowing a bit about God, and uh, and life brought us to a point where I was actually um, going to go to another uh, school, actually down here in Tennessee, and I got down here and it didn't work out, so I ended up going back home. And if I hadn't made that choice, I wouldn't have met my bride, who. Um, met her at Greater Boston Academy, and uh, we dated for six years, and uh, 40 years later, we're here. And um, my, Michelle, I don't know if you want to share a bit about your... Sure. My story is a little bit different from Jim's. Uh, My parents were not Christians. My father was in the United States Army. I was born in Nuremberg, Germany, and we really didn't know Christ, And we were called to move to El Paso, Texas, where my dad anticipated a new position. He was a tank operator. And I think we were there two weeks, and one night he went to work and did not come home in the morning. He was run over by one of the army tanks. So my mother remembered her husband's words to stay in the United States, and she moved to Cape Cod, Massachusetts, where many of my dad's siblings were, and we established ourselves. And my mom went seeking for the Lord. She remembered a little Adventist woman had come and studied the Bible with her parents in Germany. At the time, she was a teenager and had no interest. She began visiting churches around the area there in Massachusetts, and the Lord called her heart, and we walked into a Seventh-day Adventist church. It wasn't very long. My mom knew we'd come home. And I was dedicated at almost age eight or nine. And um, our little Cape Cod church built a little small Seventh-day Adventist school, and I would be one of the first students. And as a seventh grader, one of the first graduating classes as, as an eighth grader. And I would go on to meet Jim at Greater Boston Academy. Okay, so fast forward. Uh, you, you both meet... And just into your formative years, what was your faith experience like? So we all have journeys. Um, and some of us go hard away, and some of us go a little away, and some of us don't. Um, I ended up having a journey where I went a bit away from God, but not completely. And, you know, our our experience with God grew 
in a mighty way after we got married um, and ended up getting involved in a young adult group where um, we started studying the Bible together uh, and um, it was, it lit a, an experience in my heart and Michelle's heart that um, made a huge difference um, for the rest of our lives. Um, and interestingly enough, you know, we all have somewhat idealistic pictures of what life is going to be like and what we're going to plan. We plan our lives out. And um, you never know the curveballs that are going to get sent to you in the midst of that journey that you end up going down. And um... Um, two, for me, I went to, as we mentioned, Greater Boston Academy, and then I went on to Andrews University and became a registered nurse. And Jim um, began to learn the, the carpentry trade. <clears throat> um, <clears throat> excuse me. It was when our first child was born, Nathaniel, that my heart was stirred within me to, to know God more intimately, more closely. And I realized what a huge, serious responsibility had been given to us to become parents. And what an opportunity to serve the Lord with all our hearts. Hannah's story was so vivid for me personally. And I thought, Lord, help us to have a heart like Hannah. So you have your first child, Nathaniel. And tell us where you live. Tell us about those first few years of Nathaniel's life. So um, Nathan was born at the same hospital I was born at um, in Stoneham. And uh, we ended up having, uh, Michelle became pregnant again three years later and we decided to move from Massachusetts to Vermont, where I had gone and worked as a kid um, uh, at a farm. And um, thank you. Um, and, uh, you know, had a great passion. Actually, my desire in life was to be a farmer. That was, that was kind of my goal. Um, but God had other plans. Um, I realized that um, I didn't have enough money to do that. <laughs> Um, but anyway, uh, it, it turned out that uh, um, as we moved up there, um, we had a, kind of a miraculous experience um, in that uh, Michelle uh, being pregnant, we ended up having our daughter Caitlin um, at, in 1995, um, a ended up through a number of circumstances, ending up having a home birth, which wasn't originally planned. Um, and where we live in Vermont, it's on the border of Canada. Uh, we can literally see Canada out our window. Um, and it turns out that uh, February 12th, in the middle of a snowstorm at 5.25 in the morning, Caitlin decided to come long before a midwife could make it. Um, and so... Very exciting. Yeah. And so, um, you know, we, we ended up uh, just ourselves delivering Caitlin at home. And... Uh, we felt the presence of the Lord. Yeah. It was... We were was, not alone. We had this little directions, you know, these emergency directions and the little bulb syringe and the few little meager things. But the Spirit of the Lord was with us. Yeah. So... Anyway, yeah, that's, we, we ended up uh, getting a little 
place with 10 acres of land and a great view of Jay Peak Ski Area and uh, just a beautiful spot to get out into the country to raise kids. That was our, we thought, you know what, this is the right pathway. And it was. Um, so. Okay, and then so you probably uh, started to grow some food. I think we have a picture of you and the kids on a tractor here that you yeah. sent me. Yep. Okay, tell us about life with two little munchkins around. What was that like? It was a great, great time frame. Um, we ended up taking uh, Nathan and Caitlin, and uh, we actually took the, uh, had a, uh, a time frame where everything's working out really well, and we actually had a well that um, didn't end up uh, being that great. Some... Uh, fertilizer from the fields and stuff had gotten down into the well so we couldn't really drink from it um so but we ended up taking um and putting uh getting water from our neighbors and so one day we took this tractor and I hooked up a manure spreader to it that I had used when I was a kid and a uh, younger and um friend of ours and we took it over to spread it on our garden I decided you know what I think we'll take it over and we'll take it to um, our neighbors that we get water from and we can spread it because that was the only thing that we could do for them. Really, they, they're kind of people that had everything and, and so we just, but they'd love gardening. So we took it over to them, hadn't, didn't ask them or anything. And it turned out that Nathan, um, I had Nathan ride beside me on the axle of the tractor as I had since when I was a kid um, and his arm around the PTO lever and his feet on the drawbar, and we rode over there and, and got up. And I was just about to pull down my driveway before going to the neighbors and, and made the decision to go over there. And I even said to him, I said, Nate, I think we should take this over, over to uh, the Fosters. He said, no, Dad, I don't think we should. And I said, well, I think, I think if I don't get another load, I'd rather do this today. So it turned out I took the, the, um, the tractor over to... The, their backyard took it around to go to where their garden was and just as we got around to the back side of their house they had um, three little girls in their house that the best we can conjecture he didn't want to be hidden from sight being able to be seen and he stood up just as I downshifted um, in their in their driveway behind the house and he slipped and he fell forward. And as you can see on there, there's an uh, old belt drive wheel on that Farmall 400. And it knocked him into the path of that um, tire that's loaded with calcium chloride and has weights bolted to the inside. And by the time I got it stopped, I was right on top of his head. And um, so when we ended up... Um, I ended up having to pull off and my neighbor, um, Kim, came running out and pulled him out from the path of the manure spreader behind and I um, locked things up and uh, got down. And I'm sitting on the, laying on the ground with my son. Kim brought out some towels. Um, Nathan's, I don't want to be too graphic here, but Nathan's... Um, I had gray matter on my hand um, from his from his head, and um, he was. I was 
telling Pastor Jared that I was laying on the ground beside him with my arm around him holding pressure on his head. And I said to him, I said to God, I'm literally, I took my other hand and I'm digging into the grass. And I said, God, I, why did I do this today? I didn't have to do this. And I'm pounding the ground and I'm saying, Lord, why? God answers prayers. <laughs> Sometimes ones that we don't even, you know, that we don't even ask in a very formal way. And you know what was amazing to me? Is, is that right at that moment, while I'm asking why God, I ended up suddenly having God draw very near. He's, Nathan's gurgling and I'm expecting at any moment that that's going to be his last breath. And um, all of a sudden, that picture of God that I had heard since I was a kid of looking down and seeing his son dying on that cross. Got a whole different picture for me. And suddenly a peace that passed all understanding became mine right at that moment. That I knew that God knew my pain. And so Kim went and got Michelle. Yes, I had no idea what was happening. And keep in mind, our little son was only six years old. Our firstborn, our only son. And when I got there, it was just surreal. But I felt, I would realize later, I felt heaven there, present with us. And I remember being a nurse, being in shock, but yet hearing clear breathing from our little son. When you are bleeding to death, you don't breathe clearly. So we knew God was doing something very special. And um, everything that could go wrong went wrong just so that I believe God's glory and power could be seen. It took 40 minutes for the ambulance to arrive on a Sunday afternoon. The ambulance crew began swearing and just like losing their cool. And I remember just they, looking they at them. They weren't angry. They were just scared. Just freaked out. And I remember saying airway, breathing, you know, circulation. And they didn't even have the proper sizes for, you know, masks or anything as being a pediatric patient. But honestly, God drew near and he provided what our son needed. He was his breath. You know, he was his sustainer. And we would meet gracious farmers who had a similar experience and their child did not make it. And we never dreamed to even ask God to sustain his life. But God in his goodness chose to do so. I can't wait to get to heaven to hear the rest of the story. So we, uh, he was taken to a local hospital um, and uh, after five hours uh, they worked on him uh, and got him stable enough. There was too much fog for the um, helicopter to come from Dartmouth 
uh, medical center to be able to fly him over the mountains. So they had to, uh, what we call now, I, I ended up getting into emergency medicine um, a number of years ago, and uh, what we call ground pounding it um, down. And it's amazing that his, um, his pediatrician came in on a Sunday morning, May 3rd, 1998, um, came into our little hospital, uh, performed a, an interosseous um, line that I end up doing significantly awesome, um, where you drill into the bone to be able to get access. And, uh, but she had just barely been trained to do that two weeks before. And uh, she chose to be willing to ride in the ambulance, which isn't heard of, um, with the respiratory therapist and um, nurse and, and um, EMTs in the back to take him down to Dartmouth. We went back home um, that was five hours after they worked to stabilize him enough to go. We went back home, got our stuff, and rode down there. And the reality of it was that even though this happened, we knew it happened, it still hadn't hit us yet, what had happened. And I never forget, we got our clothes together, and my parents drove us down there, and they said... And I all of a sudden was driving down there and it hit me what happened. And um, I just said, Lord, I want to be going down Job's road and say, though you slay me yet, will I trust you? But Lord, I'm not there right now. And um, we got down there to Dartmouth and the doctors came to us and said that Nathan was not stable enough to be able to go into surgery. Um, but the likelihood of him living through the night was extremely low. But it was like they reached out and kind of put their hand on our shoulders and said, but you can take comfort in this that based upon the extent of his injuries, he will be a vegetable the rest of his life if he were to survive. And if I could add one thing, before we got to that large medical hospital two hours south of our home, the team said to us, okay, we're getting ready to transport. Just go ahead and talk with your little son. The last thing to go when you are in great trauma is your, your hearing. We knew Nathan could hear us, and so we spoke to him, and we said, honey, mom and dad, we, we can't go with you in the big ambulance, but these good, kind people, doctors and nurses, will go with you. And all of a sudden, our little boy, who had been silent up to this point, had a little cry. It brought such joy to our hearts because vegetables do not cry that Nathan was still in there. So encouraging. So Nathan went into surgery, became stable enough to go into surgery and they literally, all they did was, and I'm saying all they did, <laughs> um, they basically took his broken pieces of his skull and screwed them back together and then put it in a plate back in. And, and all the dirt. I asked the doctor, I said, how many pieces? He says, more than I can count. It was pushed in a V down into his left frontal lobe. His jaw was snapped on the end of his chin and broke. Um, and um, so most of his left um, frontal lobe 
and, and part, all of his left frontal lobe and part of his right um, have been compromised. And um, it, was, it was an incredible experience. They, um, if you want to forward the next picture there, that's Nathan, his, um, in the pediatric ICU. Um, we were there with him and it was interesting that in this great big hospital um, that we're teaching hospital that we were at, there was, we were the only ones in the pediatric ICU. And the Lord opened the door for us to get a nurse that um, was the only nurse that was on for him and she just did him specially that night. And um, when she saw that we put pictures up of what Nathan looked like, she started crying. That, excuse me, that her son looked just like him and was the same age. Blonde hair, blue eyes, 42 pounds, just cute as a button. So it turned out that um, she asked if there was anything that we could do and she ended up um, sharing with uh, us the, Michelle ended up sharing with her that maybe even though he was in a coma, that maybe you could be able to uh, share with him his primary treasure memory ver um, Bible story. The story of Joseph at that time. And um, she shared with me that she was so moved by that story. She had heard it before. Um, and the Lord opened the door for me to share with her for two hours that... Um, about, about God. And she said, you know, she said, I've been to church. But she said, five years ago, she said, somebody really hurt me. And I was done with church. But she said, Jim, I'm going back to church. And um, the, the next night after Nathan's accident, if you want to switch to the next slide, um, the, a little girl came in. She was two years old. Um, the man in the picture, his name is Tom. And Tom ended up accidentally backing over his girlfriend's daughter. He had been with this uh, little girl since she was two years old. Sorry, three months old. And um, he, she got up from a nap and he was backing his van into the garage and accidentally didn't see her and accidentally backed over her and right across her arm and her abdomen. And um, she had some burns from the exhaust on her and different things. And um, that night when we were going out, we got to go and stay at a place similar to a Ronald McDonald house that they have on the campus of the hospital and um, it was 10 10 30 at night we were leaving and I turned to him and I said Tom I said I have no idea how you and I could make it through something like this without a faith in God and he said to me he said well I've got faith in my daughter over the next few days which told me where he was at and it over the next few days um, I found out that he had had he was 21 he had had spent a year in prison I heard the girl's uh, actual father come in and start yelling at him and calling him a druggie and, and all these things. And anyway, that was 
when she came in, it was a Monday night on Thursday, um, she was well enough to go out onto the regular floor. And Tom came up to me and he hugged me and he said, Jim, he said, I don't think I could have made it through this without you. And I said to him, I said, Tom, if God hadn't helped me, I wouldn't have been able to see you or your daughter. I would have just been focused on what I put in the bed over there. Hence, God helped you. And he said, I know, Jim. He said, I, for the first time, he said, I went down to the chapel today and I prayed. You know, we had many people that called us to try and encourage us that said, and this, I want to emphasize beyond everything that I could possibly say, this isn't about us. They would tell us, we didn't know what to say. If we were in your shoes, we'd be a basket case. And I said to, they said, when we, when we got done, we were more encouraged by what you, by your, what your phone calling you and talking to you than we could give to you. And ultimately, brothers and sisters, what I found, people asked me, how did you get through this? You know, counseling, whatever. I ended up having flashbacks of what I saw when, for two weeks, of what I saw when just about the tired about to go over him or what I saw when I turned his head up or all these things would just come back to me and it would wrench my whole body, like literally like, <gasps> but yet the text that the brother brought up here in Sabbath school this morning from, I, from Genesis chapter 50, where Joseph spoke to his brothers and said, what you meant unto me for evil, God meant unto me for good. We're all going to go through difficulties in our lives. We all have an opportunity to choose what we focus on when think bad things and trials and difficulties happen. But God gave us the gift to be able to look at him rather than the circumstances. And it turned out that we had opportunities to be able to share and encourage in more stories than what we could share here today about how God was able and to do the impossible as brother um, Jorge shared from, from uh, Matthew 19 with man, this is impossible, but with God, all things are possible. And um, I work today, I shared with uh, pastor Jared, a number of stories I work today on an ambulance and God has used Nathan's story to be able to touch countless lives of people that are in horrible situations. But yet, as we came to realize from 2 Corinthians chapter 1 verses 3 and 4 where it says, comfort others with the comfort that you've been comforted with. This bomb of sharing with others and encouraging other people was what brought healing to our hearts. It really made a huge difference for us to be able to actually minister to other people out of our pain. And, and uh, God used that opportunity to be able to, um, to open a lot of hearts to see that our God is real and able and, and possible to, to share. Jim, you might share what happened, um, was it a day or two after the 
initial surgery, Nathan's intracranial pressure began going up, and it's a very serious situation, and the medications were not controlling that, and the surgeon came back to us and said, I need to tell you, I think we're going to need to take your son back to the operating room, and we'll have to take a piece of skull and you know, remove it so that it can release the pressure so that he'll have less damage. And I'm just like you. I'm a mom. Humble. You know what I mean? Just, just, I'm not a surgeon. But the Spirit of the Lord came over me, and I said, you do what you need to do. I'm going to pray, and I'm going to ask the Lord to prevent Nathan from having to go back to the operating room. And he looked at me, ma'am, are you listening to me? Well, actually, as a part of that, he was trying to emphasize, he saw that we were speaking faith yeah. and God's power, and he felt that we needed a reality check. And he said, we need you to understand your son could die at any minute. And that's the same time frame, really, that Tom was actually, their daughter was being discharged from the pediatric intensive care unit. Um, and so Nathan's life was hanging in the balance. And Michelle boldly said to him, doctor, <laughs> I don't remember the you, may, you may think that he could die at any moment, but I'm going to share something with you. God didn't save him to this point to let him die now. And I was like, whoa, <laughs> honey, that's pretty bold. But God ended up coming through. God does put words and he in never had to go for that. Them for his honor and glory. He never had to go in for that surgery. And it, yes. And, and there's a lot more for us to share with you let me pause about you. that. So they, you had shared this much of the story with me, and I thought, this is... The type of faith we need to have through trials and people need to know that your faith has to be okay with the awful in life. But as you were continuing on to this story, I think my mind was thinking, yeah, you know, that's a good testimony and we need to know these things. And then I have to admit to you, that's why I said, hold on a second, can you go back? You kept on with the story and I said, wait a second. Are we still talking about the same story? So just so everybody can relate with where I was at. Keep going. Yeah, good. So it turned out that um, Nathan ended up uh, being able to, um, to, to move forward um, in the, like I said, the accident happened on May 3rd. He was six years old. Um, by... We were in the hospital there at Dartmouth for two and a half weeks. And I'm sure people are wondering, how's Nathan doing? Why don't you take a few minutes to talk about Nathan? I, I will. We were in there for two and a half weeks, and then we were moved to, from there, oh, actually, I have to stop for a second. You have to hear this. Oh, I didn't videos. share this part with you. So Nathan ended up um, having a, his physical therapist um, came in after they took him, uh, they got him, he, he was in a Versed-based coma, for those of you that know uh, medicine. And, and so basically they brought him out of that and he actually came around. Um, and the, at a teaching hospital, they like to surround the bed every morning with people to talk about the case and different things that are going on. They had 
um, nutritionists there. They had all different, you know, uh, uh, neurosurgical fellows there. There were, um, you know, pharmacists and all the rest. They were all there around in the morning. And one of the um, interns reaches out and touches Nathan's right leg because he was paralyzed on the right side. His left frontal lobe was damaged most. And so crossing... Can we show that picture? Yes. I think that's yep. the next picture. Yeah. So this is Nathan's uh, scan that we actually took in 2017 when he had his first seizure, 19 years after the accident. Um, and uh, I remember asking, what's all that black stuff? Yeah, and uh, we hadn't had this picture before, but basically you can see that as you look at it on the the right side there, that's his left frontal lobe, and then it gets over into his right. That's just cerebral spinal fluid. Um, there's nothing there. Um, and uh, basically the, the doctor in the ED that we came into for his seizure ended up saying, uh, we don't see people alive with brain scans like this um, or that are in any way functional. And, but anyway, um, the doctors said to him, would you, uh, Nathan, Nathan, and he, he, he was not verbal, he was, you know, we were, he was just literally two and a half weeks out. He opened his, his eyes for the first time when, on Mother's Day, which was the 12th, right, of May, something like that. Um, and so that, later that week, he ended up, um, they, they were tapping on his, his right leg and asking him to move his right hand. And it turned out that, um, or his right leg, and he couldn't move it, but they had tethered his left hand, which he could move because he kept picking at his forehead where the scar was, and, and um, were at the dressing, and they needed to stop that. So they, they put him in a restraint that he couldn't quite get back to there, but he could reach his right hand. And he reached over with his left hand picked up his right hand that couldn't move, and he dropped it. And we're like... They roared. They, everybody, everybody Unbelief. was sitting in there like in total shock to see that level of processing based upon the damage that they knew had happened with him. And so, um, and then his physical therapist said to us, they, they said to us, um, they got him up that week, later that week, and they got him sitting on the side of his bed, and he couldn't hold his own head up. Um, and her goal for him, that was on a Friday, their goal for him the following Friday was that he would be able to sit up on his own and hold his own head up. Well, f five days, four days, five days later, he was walking. If not running. Yeah, and, Kamikaze um, style. We went through rehab, and it turned out that he ended up um, going. Uh, we went uh, in July of that year. Um, we were able to go home, and we went on a vacation up to Acadia National Park. Up to, um, and we were biking Coast around. Of Maine. We were biking. We decided to take a bike trailer. Um, that somebody lent to us to go around Eagle Lake. And, uh, but we did bring Nathan's bike with us and he did actually start riding. This actually got into August um, uh, after the accident. And his, 
he wanted to ride. And I said, well, we'll bring your bike along. We'll hook it up on the trailer. Um, but we, I don't, I, I'll let you ride for a little bit, but I don't want you. It was five miles around that lake. Nathan rode the whole way. Persistent on his bicycle, little man. On his bicycle the whole way around that lake. And as a mother, I just want to share, I remember in the hospital soon after the surgery and soon when he came back to us, so to speak, he would take my long hair and he would just kind of twiddle it and stroke my hair. And I can't tell you as a mother how much joy that brought my heart, that this little boy, even after all he had just been through, was himself. And uh, it's been quite a journey. Yeah, we've been through we've been through a lot. Even though it went that fast, um, brain injury is one of those things where you can look on the outside and you he looks totally normal. If you were to meet Nathan today, yeah, see if you go to the next picture. I don't know what the next one is. That's Kate, Nathan, and our daughter Caitlin, who was born in the bathroom. Um, the bathroom baby. Yeah, Nathan, and that was what four years ago, something like that, four or five years ago. Nathan um, has had significant challenges through the process. It's been extremely hard on our family, uh, especially with Michelle um, working with him. Uh, this isn't one of those crises in which ends up being there and then suddenly it's all gone and you, everything's back to okay. Um, we had many, many years of anger, his... Um, he has, because of that's the frontal lobes where you can control your anger, your inhibitions and all the rest. Um, he ended up, um, especially for Michelle, it was the hardest for Michelle because she was home all the time. Did you know M is spelled M-O-N, which stands for mean old mom? I was the one that had to make him, guide him to do so many things. And he has no idea that all that torture was just to live a normal life. Right. You know, reading, tying your shoes, making your bed, all of it had to be relearned and none of it came in the quick normal development stages, very long and prolonged. And uh, he actually didn't have the anger till he was entering his um, you know, early teenage years when the body is changing quite a bit. Uh, we tried homeschooling him <laughs> and uh, that was difficult. And then we sent him to a little Christian school who did their very best and they really worked with him for about a year or two and then it, it, it got too difficult so he had to go to public school and even they struggled to know how to teach a boy who has a frontal lobe damage. Yeah, so uh, during this time frame, Michelle had seven years of working with Nathan before she tried to go back to work and then in trying to go back to work process um, after all that she had been through emotionally, physically, and otherwise, we went through another trauma in that we ended up, um, she ended up uh, getting fired and losing her nursing license permanently. Um, Going in on a which, Saturday morning, I was not even scheduled to work and just all hell broke loose. They had a horrendous night and just things went very bad and um, out of my control, things I really couldn't control. And I remember thinking um, when I was suddenly told to go home, I thought, wow, Lord, the devil's really working hard here. What's going on? <laughs> you know, the devil loves to hurt God's children. And I don't fully understand why that was all allowed to happen. And it would be a very painful process. Losing your professional license is hard. 
you know, we have not had a happily ever after story at all. Mm-hmm. And the, even marital tension, uh, I would, you know, had a significant background in understanding brain injury. And my viewpoints were quite different than Jim's and that created a lot of tension. So we really did have a hard journey and I want to lift up the people who prayed for us throughout our journey. You know, when you are praying for someone, God is listening to your prayer and he is intervening. I praise God for that. So Nathan, today, if you want to jump to the next uh, slide there, Nathan just got married on July 17th um, and he has, we went through a bit of a journey with him. Not um, a bit, a massive journey. <laughs> yeah, he ended up getting involved with a girl that was extremely smart, but very abusive and emotionally. Broken. And uh, they had a little boy together. And that's Timmy that Nathan's got in his arms. He just turned four years old. And um, I'm his Mimi and this is Jinky. Yeah, and um, so Nathan actually... Um, drives tractor for a living right now How uh, on a farm. That? Uh, they didn't <laughs> very proficiently. They didn't think he was going to be able to um, drive. Period. They didn't think he was going to be able to run a chainsaw. I taught him to run a chainsaw at 12 years of age, and um, it's. <laughs> I'm watching some of the faces in the audience. <laughs> um, yes, yeah. it was not easy for this mom when I'd be washing the dishes and I'd hear a chain start chainsaw start up, I would just start praying immediately, Father God, keep all the limbs intact. Please keep us from the emergency room today. <laughs> and, and I have an outdoor wood furnace and we, on the border of Canada, burned 12 cords of wood a winter, uh, keeping that fed. And up until he got married recently, uh, I almost forgot how to run a chainsaw because he did it all. And I don't know how many of you know how much 12 cords of wood is, but it's a lot. And we would have to go even to the woods and pull it out. And it's amazing his abilities. And like I said, if you were to meet Nathan today and you come and talk to him. You'd smile. You'd enjoy conversation with he's, him. He's a great guy. Yeah. And you wouldn't know anything happened to him. And, uh, For but, a while. <laughs> yeah. But it, it's Can still there. It's still, we still deal with challenges today. We do. Um, Just driving a vehicle, he had to wait many, many years past being 16 before he showed readiness for being able to have control, you know, impulse control and awareness and reflexes to drive a car, and he had to take an adaptive driving class. It would take many, many years, many years. Everything's so then, slow motion. Hold on. So I think it's one of the routine things in Adventist evangelism seminars where we get to a night of the 28-part series and we talk about the, the importance of the frontal lobe. We tell the story of, I think, Phineas Gage. And basically, without a frontal lobe, good luck having any religion or faith or spirituality in your life. Can you just talk about that for a second? Yeah, absolutely. So uh, it was interesting that um, just before the accident, um, Nathan had a lot of excitement over the net series that Pastor Doug was doing and actually said um, that he he thought that they should be um, that, that everybody should come and hear this. And, um, as a six year old. Yeah. And he was excited about that. But, um, part of the, the challenges that we've gone through in the journey is, is that, um, 
don't know how much I should get into this, but basically uh, Nathan, because of stresses on my wife, his therapist told us that Michelle had to go away for a while and his therapist told us that if he was, uh, in order for her to be able to be in a good place to be able to come back, that they had, we had to get Nathan out of the house. Like he couldn't be there, which was very hard, especially for me, but he's, also for Michelle. He's about 18 or so now, I'm going to say, 18 yeah. or 19. Yeah, somewhere in that ballpark. It was 2011. And when was yeah. he baptized? He was baptized in 2012, maybe. So yeah. the year he graduated from high school. Yeah, so basically what ended up happening is, is that... Um, he ended up going out and having to live with people that didn't have, we couldn't find anybody that had our faith system. Mm -hmm. And Nathan was very impressionable. Mm -hmm. And he, there was a lot of the pulls of the things of this world that pulled him away from God that would pull any kid away from God. Uh, but he was especially vulnerable to it. And um, so he went uh, further away from God. And so we ended up, uh, it's... There's a lot to the story, but it turned out that um, once he ended up being able to go out on his own um, and got connected with this other girl that, he, um, that had no faith in God, she's got a lot of anger, she's hurt our family tremendously that he had the child with. Um, we do continue to pray for her and hope. Yes. Um, they ended up having, um, he, he just totally got away from going to church no interest in church at all, and God, and um, God opened the door for him to, to get away. Uh, pornography has been a big issue for us. Uh, it's horrible. Uh, and brain injury made, let, left that door open. It's, it's been a, a tough journey on that front. But um, God opened the door for him to connect with Ashley, who's a Seventh-day Adventist, um, and she uh, has helped him. But another part of that journey was is that, and it's part of the reason why we're here today, is, is that he ended up watching uh, Pastor Jared's talks there, and he's like, Dad, you've got to listen to this guy. And he really knows Jesus. <laughs> yeah, so he ended up coming back and ending up, um, he's there, things aren't 100% with us, but he, they're, they're going to church most Sabbaths and... Um, Ashley really loves the Lord. Yeah. And she's just a gentle, kind soul, simple person, country girl. And Nathan just fell in love and she with him. So it's like second chances are really a, a thing. <laughs> yeah. God is so good. So we covet your prayers, but remember... All of us have got trials we never expect. Like we never planned on this journey that kind of took over our lives. Um, and we're all going through garbage. That text in First and Second Corinthians chapter one, verses three and four that says, comfort others with the comfort you've been comforted with, kind of presupposes that you're gonna go through some stuff mm -hmm. that God's gotta comfort you from. And our Sabbath school lesson talks about the crucible and the difficulties that we need to handle with meekness. And I'm not gonna raise my hand and say that I was meek. We and I'm totally meek. To we got go a long ways to go on that, but God worked in spite of us. Yes. And uh, we can praise the Lord for, for that. And we are grateful for what you've shared and um, how that 
um, affected our son um, and in a positive way for the Lord, and we're just grateful for that. Thank you for sharing such an encouraging testimony. And uh, I'd love to pray as we close, can we? Heavenly Father, we thank you for testimonies like this, that through good and bad, uh, you're with us, you walk with us, you promise you'd never leave us or forsake us. I just thank you for Jim and Michelle, uh, the miraculous story of their family and Nathan's life, and uh, the joy to know our little church here has played a part in Nathan's journey. I pray that you'll continue to bless him and Ashley and, and their whole, whole family. Uh, we pray that we will realize that only by the blood of the lamb and the word of our own testimony will we get to the end of our story and be satisfied. So I pray that if we have a story, we can comfort others with it. If we don't, Lord, be merciful to us as we enter that season of life. We thank you for hearing our prayer this morning. Pray that you'll go with us, help us to share whatever testimony we may have with others, that it may be an encouragement to them. Bless Jim and Michelle, we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Thank you so much for listening. We record these messages each week at the Seventh-day Adventist Church in Adairsville. And if you're ever in the area, we'd love to see you. Stop in and say hi and enjoy some good Southern food with us. We'll see you next week.